Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to When I was a little boy, I wanted to be a cowboy. I wanted to be a cowboy. Not just your like, uh, not just like your little boot wearing whatever. I wanted to be a full on cowboy. So I want you guys to imagine with me right now. Here's little Oren standing right here. Little Oren with his dark, long mullet. He, yes, I had the most gorgeous mullet you could ever imagine. There he's standing there with his denim jeans, his denim shirt, his, his little Wrangler jeans, and his little black cowboy boots. And you know what? I love that outfit. I loved being a little cowboy. And imagine with me, if you guys have any idea what I'm talking about, I look like one true Dwight Yoakam. Does anybody have any clue who I'm talking about when I mention Dwight Yoakam? Don't be afraid to raise your hand right now. Yes, 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 yes. Good job. If you have no idea, be sure to go home when your power's back on. Check him out on the internet. YouTube him, whatever you want. But that's what I was, man. There was no lady on the playground that could resist this hunk of young man. Nobody. I, when I was young, I was completely encompassed with the fascination and the idea of dating cowgirls, lassoing steers, uh, riding horses, uh, and most importantly, conquering eight seconds on a raging bull. That was my goal. That's all I wanted to be. Those were my aspirations of my five-year-old self. And you know what? 
Maybe if you haven't noticed yet, but those dreams didn't come true. <laughs> those dreams did not come true. But you know what? This summer, what all, oh, I hear, am I just hearing things? Oh, I'm on. Okay, perfect. Okay. <laughs> this past month, uh, along with all the great things I got to do this summer, my wife and I had the opportunity to go and attend the Washington State Fair which was held down in Linden, just across the line there. We were blessed to get some tickets to go enjoy the fun there. And you know what? I got to get the pure cowboy experience in the grandstands at the rodeo. And it was awesome. It was awesome. We took in the whole evening taking in the pure cowboy action. And you know what? From, from the horses to the steers, to there was even sheep there, and even to the infamous bulls. I could feel little orange stirring up inside as I sat there watching this. It was fantastic. I loved it. I loved it. But here's one thing. Besides all the fun action that I saw there, uh, there's something else that stood out to me. And it was before all the awesome performances had began. We watched all the, the bronco riding and the, and the bull riding, all that. Before any of that began, something interesting happened. And any pure cow or any old cowboy fashion, you know what? We kick off the rodeo with a prayer. We kick off with a prayer. So you know what? Everybody, there's about a thousand onlookers at this rodeo. And everybody pauses in silence. And they bow their heads. They take off their hats. And we pray to God. And you know what? I was actually, it was quite exciting to be, uh, to be experiencing this, all these people there. But you know what? In this moment as well, I thought to myself, what is it? What is prayer? What is prayer? And I started thinking to myself, what, what, do, is it, what does it look like for us to pray? What does it look like for us to pray? And I thought to myself, you know what? I don't know. I've, I'm believing that not everybody in these grandstands has a personal relationship with Jesus. But you know what? We're all bowing our head and we're talking to God right now. So it made me think, what does it look like for us to pray to God? And I think that in our North American culture, uh, I think almost everybody has some idea or definition of prayer. Some definition of prayer. I don't know what it might be. But would you guys agree with me? If not, that's okay. But I would say that maybe almost everybody has some definition in our North American culture of what prayer is. And what that might look like might be some of these things. I think that some people think prayer is something you do at a place of worship. At a place of worship, whether you go to church or you go to the synagogue or you go to a temple, that's a place where you pray. I think some people think that. Or maybe for others, they've heard prayer at a, at a wedding, or they've heard prayer at, at a, a baptism or a funeral. Maybe some people have heard prayer there or partaken in prayer there. For still others, prayer might be something that you do once a year at Grandma's house at Thanksgiving. Maybe that's when you pray. That's what they do. Or here's another thing I've, I've observed is that when disaster strikes we, and we experience the frailty of life, and it's right there on our doorstep, it seems easy to come to our knees and ask God for, for sparing our life, to spare our life. It seems easy in those moments to do that. I've seen that. Or if we have a big request in our lives, like we need something so bad because you know what? This thing's going to forever change my life. We're easy and quick to go ask God for that, to pray to him for those things. 
It seems as though, and here's what I'm that in these moments of ritual, uh, maybe crisis and personal satisfaction, we have no problem going to God in prayer. We have no problem. It's, to, to give a quick shout out to the big man, to give a quick shout out to the big man as how many would see it. So today I want us to look at Jesus' instruction for prayer and to find out if this is really how we should be approaching God, if this is how we should really be approaching God. So we're going to be looking in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew. And before we go any further, we're going to be actually going to, the, to chapter 6 in the book of Matthew. Before we go any further, let's press pause right now. Let's zoom out a bit and let's see what's going on here in this section of Matthew. First of all, the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew is the first of four books at the beginning of the New Testament. It is one of the four known as the Gospels. Matthew is the first of those four. And and its author, and it's named after its author, who was a former tax collector by the name of Matthew. That's the author of this book. And, And he once was Jesus' pupil, his student, his disciple. With the help, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, Uh, Matthew, he wrote this book as a first-hand account of Jesus' life and ministry. That's what Matthew is. That's what's going on here in Matthew as I'm flipping to Matthew. There we go. The main character of this book is Jesus. And the first few chapters of Matthew depict his birth. They go through his birth and then followed by his baptism. And then following that, uh, following these events, Jesus begins his healing and teaching ministry in Galilee. That's what's going on, as well as the selecting of his disciples. That's what's gone on before chapter 6 in Matthew. And right now, where we are in chapter 6, Jesus is ministering to massive crowds. Massive crowds which consisted of his disciples, uh, consisted of Jews and and Gentiles who were non-believers, and children and people with various diseases and had pain and had demon oppression. Man, this would have been quite the crowd. But he was healing them and teaching them what the life or what life in the kingdom looks like, what life in the kingdom of God looks like, what life for a Christian should look like. That's what Jesus is teaching. And this is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. That's what is going on here in Matthew chapter 6. And that brings us here, which is a continuation of Jesus' teaching to the people of Galilee. We are in the middle of Jesus' sermon here in chapter 6, his Sermon on the Mount, where he is addressing how the people in their culture, in their culture, have been praying to God. How they've been praying to God. And you know what? He's saying... You know, you guys, you're standing out, the religious folk, you're standing out on the streets and you're yelling out these, these prayers and seeking attention from the people around you. And he's saying, uh, don't do that. And he's also saying to, the, to also the Gentiles that you're just standing out in the streets yelling out repet- repetitious nonsense pretty well. Uh, the, the Gentiles, they believed, they didn't really know the full scope of who God was, and they thought that they had to keep repeating themselves to God so that he could hear them and understand what they're saying. So that's what they were doing, just out there repeating repetitious nonsense in hopes that God would hear them. So that's what's going on right now, and we're going to be focusing particularly on Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9 through to 13. So please turn with me if you have not yet. And this passage is commonly titled, as most people would know, as the Lord's Prayer. 
the Lord's Prayer. Some of you may have recited this prayer either in school, probably at Sunday school, uh, maybe at other ceremonial events, who knows what. We may have all heard this prayer one time or another in our life. Even when I went to, to a public school where I grew up in Three Hills, Alberta, in elementary school, we would recite this prayer every morning. Every morning before school started, we would recite the Lord's Prayer. So here, Jesus is giving the people an example of how one should pray to God. How one should pray to God. So follow along with me, because Jesus, he says this. He says this. Pray like this. He starts off like that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I believe that this passage, you guys, is far more than a poem that we recite to kick off a day of school. I feel like it is far more than that. Jesus here has given us an outline of how to conduct our personal conversations with God. To instruct us in how we should acknowledge and converse with the Almighty. That's what, God is, that's what Jesus has given us here in the book of Matthew chapter 6. So I want you guys to join with me in taking a closer look at these instructions from Jesus and to see how we should conduct our personal conversation with God. This passage gives us a template that, we have that I have broken down into two sections, just two sections. And these two sec sections cover how Jesus wants us to pray, how, how he wants us to converse with the Almighty. So let's look a bit more in detail what this might look like. So section one, as I have titled here, is know that God is awesome. Know that God is awesome. And this begins in verse nine through to 10. And here Jesus wants us to acknowledge how great our God is, just how great our God is. And he begins with this. He says, we, we read it and I'll read it again. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I love how this prayer opens, how this opens by addressing God as Abba as Abba, which is the Aramaic word for father. For father, he says right here, our father. We're addressing God as our father. This may seem strange to some, thinking that the idea of addressing God as father, but I want to assure you guys that this is an amazing privilege. It is an amazing privilege to address God as our father. We know that when we give our lives to Jesus and we trust in him as our Lord and Savior, and we believe in him, we are then adopted into the family of God. That's what's going on. And we're adop adopted into the family of God, and we are now heirs of his kingdom. We are now his children. And that now gives us, therefore, God is now your heavenly father. That's how we can address him. So when we begin by addressing God as father, we are recognizing the, first of all, the authority, the warmth and intimacy of a loving father's care, which God exemplifies perfectly. He exemplifies perfectly. I know that there are plenty of dads who do not exemplify that perfectly. I know I don't even exemplify perfectly the warmth and the intimacy and the love that God can to my wife and even to my little son. And you know what? But God does that perfectly. He does that perfectly. In the same line, however, we see 
that, that Jesus says, how, or in heaven, the phrase in heaven, and this is addressing and it reminds, us of, uh, reminds believers of God's sovereign rule over all things. Our Father, our intimate, loving, caring Father in heaven, who is the sovereign ruler of all things. Wow. That's how we open up in recognizing that He is awesome. It's amazing that we can address the ruler of the entire universe as our Father as our Father. When we begin our prayers recognizing God as our Father who rules over all things, this sets the stage for our conversation with God, <clears throat> knowing that He deserves the ultimate honor. That He deserves the ultimate honor. And that's what Jesus is showing us right here. Set the stage knowing that God is the sovereign ruler of all things and that He deserves all the honor. Number two, it says this. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. First of all, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe this is the first time you've heard it. But I'm going to be honest with you guys. When, when I think of a kingdom, uh, I think of like stone walls surrounding a, a stone castle with a moat around it. And maybe you go inside and there's like some more stone. And there's like some royalty sitting on a throne wearing purple. I don't know with some gold. That's kind of what I think of when I think of a kingdom. But maybe that's due to my, my wife and I's, and I'm going to confess this right now, my wife and I's former obsession of Once Upon a Time, the hit series, I have no idea. But anyway, when I hear kingdom, I cannot help to think about that, to think about these, these stone castles with moats and whatever else. Uh, but... I want to ask, is this the type of kingdom that Jesus is referring to? Is this the type of kingdom that he's referring to? When, and I don't think so. I don't think he is. Actually, when Jesus refers to the kingdom of God, he's referring to the reign of Christ, the reign of Christ in the hearts and lives of those who believe in him, who believe in him, and to the reigning presence of Christ in his body, who is the church. That is God's kingdom. It is beyond stone walls. It is. The kingdom of God is far beyond these stone walls and castles. It's a kingdom made up of those who believe in their king as being their Lord and Savior. God's kingdom rises when we, the church, the body of Christ, reflect his love. When we obey his laws, when we honor him and do good for all people and proclaim the good news of his kingdom. That's when his kingdom comes, when his kingdom, kingdom rises, when we, his people, do that. When we talk with God, we should recognize that, that amazing fact that he has made it possible for us to be a part of his kingdom. Through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Then asking for him to help us as the church to reflect his character and, and whatever else, first of all, in our homes, in our communities, and then to our world. And in doing so, God's kingdom, you guys, will come. He's working through us. He is alive today through the power of his Holy Spirit in the lives of the church and those who believe in him. Your kingdom come. Thirdly, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. First of all, I want to point out that when Jesus is referring to will, he's speaking of the revealed will of God. The revealed will of God is his will that is laid out clearly in the scriptures for us. It's laid out here clearly. Here are some examples for you guys. Uh, when I, if you read through the Bible, there's, you go to the commandments. It says, do not cheat, do not steal, do not lie. Yes, yes. Those are clearly laid out ways for us to conduct our lives in accordance to God. And that is his revealed will to us. It is clearly laid out if we read our Bible and we see that, he makes it clear that that's how we should live. And that is according to his will. That is his revealed will. And the flip side to that, the flip side to his revealed will is his hidden will. Uh, the hidden will of God. It is just as it sounds hidden. It is hidden. These are matters about which God only knows and they are perfect in how they play out. These are plans and actions that God unfolds in his time that are only known to him. But here, uh, maybe you've noticed this, as our lives unfold, we are able to see glimpses of his hidden will. We are able to see glimpses of some of you who have lived a little longer may have experienced this a little bit more. Because I know there's quite a few people in here that have lived longer than I have. So maybe you've, you've experienced this as well, maybe more often than I have. But here, let me explain. As you look back on your life and you see the paths and you see the journeys God has brought you through or that you have experienced, it's easier, and as you look back, it's clear to see how God has had his hand upon your life, how he's had his hand upon your life, a lot clearer than when you're in the midst of those journeys and trails and whatever else, a lot clearer later than when you were in it. That is God's hidden will being worked out in your life. And we actually don't even know the end of how that may play out. We cannot comprehend the vast plan God is playing out, but we can start to see glimpses of the work he has initiated as we look back on our lives and we look back on how God has had his hand upon us. So Jesus here is referring to the perfect revealed will of God which is given to us. And although our sinful nature causes this to look different on earth than it will in heaven, Jesus is instructing us to ask God to grant us all that we need to live out in accordance to his will here, now, today, and tomorrow. God's will is perfectly experienced in heaven, but Christ is asking that it will be experienced on earth as well. This won't be fully experienced until the kingdom of God comes in its final form, but Jesus is instructing us to ask God for help. Ask him for help that he will increasingly, that we'll increasingly be, see his will in this age through the empowerment of his spirit in the lives of those who believe in him, in his church. So God is awesome. God is awesome. And that is what Jesus has tried to address here in his instruction to us in prayer. In verse 9 through 10, Jesus is laying out that we should begin our conversations with God in recognition that he is awesome, that he is awesome and he deserves the highest honor as our heavenly father because his kingdom will come and his plans will succeed. So recognize him as awesome. Our next section begins in verse 11 through to 13 where Jesus lays out the manner in which we should acknowledge that God can provide for us, that he can provide for us. 
So let's start at verse 11. And it, it says this, give us this day our daily bread. I want to ask you guys, how important is food? How important is food? It's pretty important, isn't it? Food is important. I, it actually, doctors say that the human body can only survive, maybe there's some exceptions to the rule, but uh, on average about three weeks without zero food. And only days without water. We cannot live for very long without food and without water. I don't know about you, but my wife can testify to this, but when I only go without food for like a few hours, I all of a sudden morph into this like hangry rage monster. Has anybody heard of the term hangry? <laughs> hangry. It is a combination of both being starving, hungry, and it makes you angry. Not saying I'm angry on the other hand, but because I am hungry, it makes me angry. So I turn into a hangry monster that can only be satisfied when his stomach is satisfied. I can't even like coherently think or discuss until I have food in my stomach. I have no idea why, but that's how it is. And maybe some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I feel like Richard does. I feel like Richard knows exactly what I'm talking about. But the point is that I'm trying to make right now is that we need food. We need water, we need shelter, we need our needs in order to live. And Jesus is saying here that we should pray for these things that we need. We should ask God for these things. When we acknowledge God as being the most awesome and sovereign God, when we recognize that he is the creator and sustainer of all our physical needs, we ask him to provide those necessities for our life. So Jesus is saying, ask him for those things that we need. Pray to your Father for those things. Two, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. God has already shown us, you guys, the ultimate forgiveness by sending his one and only son to die for our sins. Even though we as mankind were enemies of God when we lived in our sin, he has made a way, or he has forgiven us of that and made a way for us to now have right relationship with him. Thank you, God. He has given us the ultimate example of forgiveness. And you know what? Once you've committed your life to God and you made him Lord and Savior of your life, you have relationship with the Father. And because we are not yet in heaven with God, you are currently living in this sin-filled world where we are now, Sin can hinder our relationship with God. It really can. Therefore, Jesus instructs us to ask God to forgive us of our sins we have committed against him in order that we have a renewed fellowship with him. And you know what? I don't know if you guys are like me, but within a day, there's things that can creep up into my life that already are hindering my fellowship with my heavenly father. So Jesus is saying, come to him. He, he has promised to forgive you of those things. Uh, and you know what? <clears throat> he will forgive you for those so that you may have renewed fellowship with him. He's instructing us to pray for restoration and personal fellowship with God when that fellowship has been hindered by sin. Come to him. And in response to the magnitude of forgiveness that God has shown for us, and he has poured out so much upon us, we should be moved with no hesitation to forgive those who have sinned against us. 
We should try to be eager in our forgiveness towards those who hurt us because of the great work our God has done for us. No hesitation. But I realize that is not easy. That is not easy at times. But that is why it is an integral part to include in our prayer to God. Because it isn't easy. And because it is so hard, it can be a constant reminder of how much we need his help. Because it is so hard. May that remind us constantly of how much we need his help. And the last part here says this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It seems to me that it is inevitable to avoid tough situations. Situations that are filled with hardship or heartache. And sometimes just straight up craziness, man. It's hard to avoid those. If you figured it out, please come talk to me afterwards. Give me your secret. Donna, you have it? All right. I'll talk to you later. It is inevitable. We will experience these situations. We will encounter them sometime or another due to the sin-filled world that we live in. Jesus is instructing us here, you guys, just to ask, or to ask God to spare us from times of hardship and trial that lead us into situations of sin. Lord, please spare us from those, those times. They're, they're going to come our way. We're going to experience them. But Lord, please spare me from them from time to time. That doesn't mean that God, I, I always get this in my head sometimes, and I, and I get this question from other people as well, is that, like, if all this crazy stuff's going on, where is God? Where is God? If, if this, all this hurt and this heartache is going on, where is he? He's good. Yes, I agree, he is good. But you know what we do? We live in a world that is still not good. We live in a broken world. It's not an ideal world, and we won't be in that ideal world until we're in home with our heavenly father. But you know what? God, it does not mean that he does not hear our prayers or care about us because these tough situations come along. That's not what this means. It's not that he doesn't care about us or that he doesn't hear us. As I mentioned earlier, the fact is, is that we live in a world where these things are going to come our way. They're just going to come. But you know what? The joy and the hope that there is is that God is still there. He's still here. Even though we do live in this crazy world where heartache comes and hardship and just straight up craziness, God is still here. Even though we live in a world where there's evil and stuff happens that we can't wrap our minds around why that would happen to, to myself or to so-and-so, but in those, the hope that we have when having a relationship with Christ is that we can turn to him in that moment and he is there to be there for us. But let's get this straight as well. God does not directly tempt anyone. He does not directly tempt anyone. But he may allow us to be in situations that put us to the test or that may, that may stretch us a little bit. Just like our brother Job. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Job. That guy got hit hard. He got hit hard. He is, he is a true testament of experiencing almost everything crazy that could happen in life. He is a true testament to that and the craziness that we have on earth. When we are in these moments of hardship and trial, we become more susceptible to the temptations of sin, the temptations of evil. 
But God has promised that he will not give us more than we can handle, you guys. And so we ask that God would spare us from some of those situations that would lead us to sin against him. That's what Jesus is instructing us here. Go to your father, ask him to spare you from those moments or some of those moments where you may be tempted to sin against him. God will provide our needs, you guys. That is what Jesus is instructing us to acknowledge. In this section that I have here in our second section, that the heavenly father will provide us our physical needs, provide us right fellowship with him and also with others. And that he'll also provide a way for us to escape from sin. Awesome. God knows the things that are hard for us to face and overcome in life. He knows. He knows those things that are hard for us to face and overcome. Even in our daily life, bad things happen. People get hurt. People hurt people. Did anybody catch that? That seemed weird when I said it. People get hurt. People hurt people. You get it? All right. People die. The list can go on and on. And that is why God provides us the privilege of having conversation with him so that we can have personal contact with our father to help us to get through the craziness of life, to get through those hardships, to get through those hard times. That's why God allows us to have conversation with him. So here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has outlined what it looks like for a believer to have a conversation with God. Jesus shows us that prayer is a daily conversation with our Heavenly Father, recognizing that He is awesome and that we need Him. He is awesome and we need Him. It seems to me that our culture, and at even times myself, I have misunderstood the purpose and meaning of prayer. When we pray, I want to ask you guys this. When we pray, let's try and have these two points at the core of our conversation with God. That first of all, we would know that God is awesome. That we'd know that he is awesome. We'd give him praise and honor. That we'd ask for his kingdom to come and that his plans would be done. May we ask that. May we know that he is awesome. And number two, may we know that God can provide. May we know that God can provide. Ask him for our physical needs. ask him for right fellowship with him and with others around us. Ask him for that and ask him for power to to give you an escape from sin when it comes your way. Ask our Father for that. We see here that Jesus wants prayer to be far more than just a shout out to the big man through routine rituals uh, at church or at grandma's house or even at the rodeo. He wants it to be far more than that. Jesus shows us that prayer is a daily conversation with our Heavenly Father, recognizing that He is awesome and that we need Him. But I want to say this does not mean that we should not have routine moments of prayer. I don't want to say that. Or that we can't go to God in moments of crisis. No. Or ask Him for things that we need. Of, I'm not saying that. All I want for us is to see that Jesus has called us to live out a daily conversation with God that focuses first on praising him and asking him for our needs in recognition that he can provide that. This should be at the core of a believer's personal prayer life. And out of that, prayers for other aspects of our life will follow. But may these things be at the core 
of what we recognize when we're talking to our Heavenly Father, that He is first of all awesome and that we need Him. And you know what? And He can provide for us. So I want to say each day, may we come to our Heavenly Father knowing that He is awesome and that we need Him all so much. May that be a reflection in our own personal prayer life. May we recognize that, God, you are awesome, and I need you all so bad. Because as I've said, we all have experienced or, or will experience crazy times, tough situations, hard situations. I know it will come, and I know it has happened. You know what? Jesus is saying, and he outlined here for us in Matthew 6, that come to your Father knowing that he is awesome and that he can provide for you. So right now, I want, I want to ask you guys to join me in prayer. Let's pray to our Father right now. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, this day started off different. Lord, it started off not as we expected, but Lord, I just... Um, I come to recognize that, Lord, you are, despite all the craziness that does happen and the curveballs that come in life, Lord, that you oversee it all. Lord, that you know all things, and Lord, that you know each and every one of us in depths that we can't even, can't even imagine. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you care for us all so much. Lord, you know so much about us. Lord, you know all things. We thank you for that. So, Lord, I just pray as we, as we talk about prayer, Lord, may you help myself, may you help all of us here, Lord, to come to you, Lord, first of all, in honoring how great you are. Lord, we thank you for how great you are, and we cannot thank you enough for that. And, Lord, I just pray that we would also recognize just how much we need you. May you help us to be, would you help us to make this a core part of our conversation with you each day? Lord, we thank you that you love us, that you care on us so much. Lord, we thank you for all the things that you do. Lord, even in the midst of all the crazy stuff, Lord, we know that your plans are good. So Lord, we, we thank you for all that you do, even though at times it seems like we have no idea what's going on and why that's going on. But Lord, may we trust that you do and that what you do is good. So we thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you'd be with each and every one of us as we go home tonight. Today, Lord, may you give us a great day. Lord, if we don't have power, may we get creative. Lord, in whatever, spending time with family or hanging out with friends, whatever it may be, Lord, we just thank you for all that you do. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. From my heart
Yes, we 